Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today is our graduation Sunday where we will honor our local high school graduates from our congregation. And the message is going to be from Esther chapter 4. It is going to be uniquely tailored for their equipping and for our equipping as we go out into a secular world that opposes the glory and the justice of God. Thanks for listening as we look into God's word together to discover with great confidence that our God's plans cannot be thwarted. I got this little gem in the mail uh, this past week from my uh, insurance, uh, life insurance provider. It says, revised payment information notice. Anyone know why that's shown up in the month of May? Think about that. Life insurance, right? How, how, how come they're charging me more? Oh, that's it. Because I'm getting older. Just thank you for that in the mail today. Not only are you getting older, but we're going to charge you more for it. I tell you, I remember being young. Do you remember being young? I was invincible. I could jump out of bed. I could jump 100 miles high. I could run all day long being young. Not anymore, guys. Not anymore. It's a funny thing, isn't it? That sometimes you don't actually see all that's going on when you're young. You don't see the full picture of what life is. In fact, it's all too easy in this life to have misprioritized what really matters. Come on, parents, adults, you see it, don't you? All the many things that the world tells young people, this is what's important, this is what you should live for. Hey, attention up here. <laughs> if the hat's bothering you, you can leave it off. That's funny. It's a funny thing. I, I remember being a kid, I went over to my neighbor's house, and they, uh, the, the parents were having this, like, heated argument and so they sent me and my buddy up to his room just to play with gi joes that's it we, we weren't involved in all that was going on but there was a lot more that was going on but we were busying ourselves with toys busying ourselves with things that didn't matter at all so it's a little bit of a warning because if you're not careful the world around you is going to try to busy you with all kinds of distractions And you might actually be missing out on what God is seeking to do both in your life, but for his own glory here on this earth. I mean, I think this is sometimes why there's so many old people in church, right? Uh, You're you're cramming for the exam at the at the end. You guys know what that's like? Exam week was just this past week, right? And of, of course, I see in my own teenager's life, it's easy to put things off until you can't anymore. Hopefully, we've grown to the place of seeing that that bad, unique human trait, this little defect that you and I have of putting things off, hopefully there's a maturing process that happens with it. But I'm talking to graduates today. I'm talking to teenagers. Be careful that you don't get distracted. Be careful that you don't miss that there is a work that God is doing in this world for his glory. And he, check this now, right? He wants to invite you to be a part of it. He wants to invite you to be a part of the work that he's doing. Uh, I got a couple of things to show you up here on the slides. God is going to do three things. He's going to rule, he's going to recreate, and he's going to resurrect. It's easy to remember because they all start with the letter. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. I got one. Letter R. Rule, recreate, and resurrect. For our uh, Bible students this morning, I, wanna, I want to just very briefly outline the way in which this is past, present, and future. 
Jesus showed his rule in that while he was on the earth, he spoke with authority. You have this repeated throughout the Gospels that the crowds were amazed because Jesus would speak as though he was in charge. Even the wind and the waves obey Jesus. This is a factual, historical reality. But that's in the past. Does Jesus rule today? Church, does Jesus rule today? Yes, he does. And this for you and I is evidenced in our own lives spiritually. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess the name of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. So it's happening in the past. It's happening presently. Is there a day in the future where we, where we will see the culmination, the consummative rule of Jesus Christ? Yes? yes? Absolutely. Past, present, and future. Look at the second one. Recreation. Historically, factually in the past, Jesus was recreating. He made this world good in the beginning. And we humans decided to go our own way. God in his goodness continued to recreate in Jesus' time. Do you, do you remember the man born blind? Do you know what God did? He did a work of recreation so he could see. The man with the shriveled hand that was in the synagogue, do you remember what Jesus did? He did a work of recreation to restore him. Lazarus, dead. Jairus' daughter, dying and dead. Did Jesus recreate? Yes. What about today? Are you seeing in your own life the dying to self and the being renewed in the image of Christ? That this is a present spiritual reality for you and I? Yes or no? Yes. yes. And is there not a day in the future that we are promised where he will make all things new? Do you see past, present, and future? Let's look at one other one. This is a big one. Resurrection. You can't go to Jesus' tomb. You can't visit it. There's no headstone or gravestone there. Why? Because the tomb is what? The tomb is empty. Historical, factual, in the past, Paul uses this as the central hope of our Christian faith. If there's no resurrection of Jesus, then there's no future resurrection. You and I have no hope, he says. In fact, you're to be pitied among all people. Paul himself uniquely, because he's a false teacher now, because he's been telling everybody Jesus did rise from the dead. Well, he's right. He did. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to 500. And then to Paul as well. Historical, factual resurrection. The Bible is going to speak of a spiritual resurrection. You were dead in your sins, but you have been raised to life. Ephesians chapter 2. Colossians says the same thing. Dead and made alive. Hopefully you see that as a present reality. God's doing that right now. He's taking those who by and in their own strength are as good as dead. And he's breathing new life into them through his spirit. That's happening presently. And is there not a future resurrection? Students, I want you to know this. This is what God is doing. He's doing these three things. Each of these three realities are given to you and I in shadow form in the Old Testament. They're only experienced in the reality, the visible, tangible recognition of them with the coming of Jesus. 
But in the Old Testament, we see shadows of them. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be in the book of Esther. We're, we're going to take chapter 4 for this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. As we're looking uh, through chapter 4. I don't know. You've got to find a Bible somewhere, you guys. Maybe, maybe someone on the end here can pass a couple of them up to some of our graduates. As you're turning there, let me give you just a reminder where we've been. If you're just joining us now for our series on Esther, we started in chapter 1 by recognizing the dysfunction of sin. Do you remember that? Remember that word dysfunctional? King, King Xerxes and Vashti, how was their marriage? How were they doing? Model marriage of selflessness and love for one another or just utter and complete dysfunction. Right? That's, that was the case. That's what they saw. And when you have this happen with a heightened dysfunction because of the glory of man is all you're interested in, this will lead to a secularism within the culture. And so chapter 2, we saw how the way in which the culture operated there in Persia was in complete godlessness, which if you recall is the definition of a secular society. Do you remember this? Government without what? Oh, did I lose you guys? What? Secularism, the definition. Government without... That's it. Secularism is government without God. You don't, you don't see that today at all, do you? Little warning for you as you're looking towards the future. Uh, if you ever see uh, under, uh, under, indivisible under God, if you ever see that deleted from the pledge, if you ever see in God we trust deleted from the money, yeah. be warned. Maybe that day's not here yet, but... Uh, caution with the secularism of our world. And do you know what secularism leads to? Do you remember last Sunday's central theme? False worship. False worship. Haman. Haman's going to destroy all the Jews. You know, before there was a Hitler, there was a Haman. And Haman thought he would go against God's promise, elevating himself. I don't know how he got there under King Xerxes' rule, but higher than anybody else, such that the decree of the government was, every time you see this man, do you know what you do? You bow down and you worship him. Exact same phrase that we saw in Daniel. Oh, boy. You guys are out of the frying pan into the fire in a lot of ways. The, the world that you're walking into, we've seen. And you've seen it in a way that's somewhat immature still. It still looks lovely. It still looks enticing. I'm hoping you can grow up quick to see the deadliness for which this culture is going to ask you to bow down and worship. We heard three examples that came from Daniel 3. Three young men. Do you know how old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were? They're probably 17, probably 18 years old. The king said, whenever you see the statue, you bow down and you worship. Do you remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? They said, king, we, we, we don't need... We don't need to prove this to you. Our God is able. Our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know we will not bow down. What do you think? What do you think, graduates? That takes some guts, huh? To be able to say we will not give our hearts the seat of being for who we are. We will not give our hearts to any other object or item, any form of idolatry. It belongs to God alone. And if you do that as young people, and this is really our hope in church, because so often here's what happens. We get young people to grow up, go through children's church, and then they reach this pew right there, wearing your robes. And what happens to them, you guys? What happens? We lose you. We don't want to lose you. 
We don't want to lose you. That when it comes time for all those other false idols to ask you to worship and bow down to them, we want you to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, I'm, I'm willing to die. My God can save me, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I'm willing to carry uh, persecution, to, to carry accusation from my friends, from my peers, whoever around me, because I will not give my heart to anybody else. That's really, that's our hope for you. And so we're going to stand, right? Amen, church? We're going we're to stand in prayer and solidarity to say, we're watching and we're with you. And we're going to continue to f- focus our efforts to help shape you that you become contributing men- members of God's people. Now, all of what I've said is a preview for what you're going to see in chapter 4. So I know you're there with me. Let's look together. Esther chapter 4. We'll read through the whole chapter. Verse 1 starts. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done. I almost have to pause right here. What, what had been done? Do you remember? There was a decree that went out on such and such a day because they rolled the dice. What's going to happen to all the Jews? Right? Good. That's what Mordecai learned. Look what he does. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatach, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hatach went to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show Esther and to explain to her. And he told And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence and to beg for mercy and to plead with him for her people. Hatach went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know. I just got to repeat that again. This is an important aspect of Esther's thinking. All the king's officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman to approach the king in the inner courts without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. By the way, how's that marriage looking? Man. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. 
Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, nights, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. A few observations that I want to give you from this chapter this morning. Number one, uh, because God is going to rule... He's going to be glorified with or without you. You let that sink in for a minute. It's not that God's dependent on you. He will rule. Whether or not you acknowledge it or not is beside the point. He will be glorified. In fact, if you look back with me in this text, look at verse 14. Mordecai, as he's having this exchange with Esther, Esther says, you know, I can't go to the king. Because everyone knows, every province knows, if you go to the king without being summoned, what does he do to you? Yeah, does anyone remember, let's just get a little historical context here. Do you remember what Mordecai heard at the king's gate? Two of his officials were going to do what to him, do you remember? They were going to assassinate the king. So presumptively, it seems, this is a new rule. You don't get to just come before the king unless you're summoned by the king. And in so doing, the king here, in many ways, is going to be protecting himself from assassination. If you decide to come to the king without being invited, yeah, you're dead. Esther knows this. But look at Mordecai's response when she tells him. He says in verse 14, if you remain silent at this time, that's fine. If you remain silent, you have that option. Your your friends around you are operating badly. The the people who you hang with are doing sinful things. You can remain silent. They'd be either degrading their society, their family's name, or their own bodies, not elevating the God who created them, or honoring image bearers around them. I don't know what kind of foolishness you're envisioning as I'm saying this, but you could remain silent. You could. Esther could as well. But look at what Mordecai says. Even if you do, deliverance for the Jews will arise from some other place. How does Mordecai know this? Because he has faith in who? He has faith in the God who said that he will protect his people. Mordecai is 100% convinced. God will be glorified. He absolutely will be glorified. You you, you can have an invitation to that, but it's going to happen with or without you. Secondly, uh, because he is going to recreate and is in the process of recreation, this is option. This is, this is awesome now. He is going to give you the option and the opportunity to serve him. Man, that ought to just shock any sinner who hears that. You mean God would use me? God be willing to use me to bring him glory and honor? He will give you the option. He will give you the opportunity. You know what he won't do? He will not force you. He will let you have whatever you want. Parents, is that tough to hear for your kids? That's a tough one for me, right? We all want the absolute best for our children. It's a little scary to think that, you know, the way God operates is with complete liberty. And that it's our job, hopefully, to instill within them a fear of the Lord that causes them to repent from any sin and find true hope in Jesus. 
alone such that they have their wills and their minds now shaped after God's way. But if you don't, God will give you whatever you want. Hopefully it's him who you want. And so here's the option. The option shows up for who in our story? Queen Esther. She is given this opportunity. It's the most well-known verse in the whole book. What does it say? Who knows? But that you've come to this royal position. Help me out here. For such That's what God put you here for. Church, God put you here right now for a very special reason. He, in fact, put certain people in your lives, co-workers and neighbors. You didn't ask for them, did you? Did you hire your co-workers, right? Maybe you live next to the people you wanted to because you wanted to, but by and large, you've been given these people for such a time as this. He's not going to force you to bring him glory. He's not going to force you to serve him. He's going to give you the opportunity to serve him. Thirdly, one last observation, because God is going to resurrect someday, God is going to be looking for those who are willing to walk into the fire. Who is it that is going to be the one willing to go against the law of the land? That's the one God's going to look for. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, yeah, You could kill us with fire. You could. You know what our God's going to do? He's going to resurrect. Do you know that 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 is the exact hope that Abraham placed his faith in when God told him to sacrifice Isaac? The book of Hebrews tells us that. Abraham believed God was able to rise Isaac from the dead. Do you know you could go to North Korea? I just heard today, uh, this last week on the news, uh, they put a family, including a two-year-old, into life in prison in North Korea. Do you know why? Because they had a Bible in their house. I was on Christian radio this past week. What can man do to you that God can't fix? Is he going to resurrect someday, yes or no? Yes. So look what Esther says in verse 16. She says, fast for me. I will do the same, my maids and I, and then I'll go to the king, even, if, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That is only a sentence you can say if you have placed all of your faith and hope in God. It's like stepping onto a boat. Did you guys ever get on a boat? I'm looking at these five right here. here. What happens if you keep one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat? What happens? You've got to make a decision. I remember it was a few years ago. uh, We were at some friend's house uh, for a 4th of July, and they were going to go on the boat pontoon to watch uh, fireworks. And I remember remember being invited and saying, no, I don't really want to go. And then the boat left. And it was what for me? It's too late. You don't get to half be on and half off. You're either on the boat or you're not on the boat. Right? It's one or the other. Look at Esther. Is she all in? What do you think, church? Is she all in on this? She's all, if I perish, I perish. And how does she say that? Because she has complete faith in the God who will one day raise the dead. That's where that comes from. Confidence in God. I want you to see Mordecai and Esther both are basing their convictions and decisions off of what God has said, even though it's against the secular culture and the false profane worship of their day. Three conclusions I want to offer to you. Please pay attention on these. Number one, if you choose to follow Jesus in a secular world, it will be risky. I 
promise you that. It's going to be so much safer for you not to come to church. That's going to be so much easier. Not to read your Bible. Just don't do anything with Jesus and just follow the current of this world and you'll be fine. No one will, no one will hate you. No one will go against you. You won't have to risk a thing. But if you live in Persia, if you live in Sagola, if you live here in a secular world, to follow Jesus is going to mean you're going to have to risk something. In fact, look what we have from Jesus. John chapter 3. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for what? What's the light do? Fear that their deeds will be exposed. Um, I remember I had this terrible headache uh, a couple, couple months ago and uh, just laid down. Get, my daughter had um, this little mask. Do you guys ever have those little masks? If you're going to nap in the middle of the day, covers, your, covers everything, right? Blocks out all the light. Turned all the lights off. Well, then Sadie and Emily knew that there was something in our room that they needed to get. So they had to quietly sneak in, not use the flashlight on the phone to make any light. Because if they woke dad with a headache, what was going to happen? Why? Because I hate the light. And so they're tiptoeing and they're being cautious and careful. Here's the really scary thing. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew, Matthew 5. You are the light. Wait, I, I thought you just told us in John that men hate the light. And now you're saying we're the light? Yeah, that's it. God is giving you the opportunity to show forth who he is. If you choose to do that in heaven, you won't have a single problem at all. Right? Imagine beaming with joy for the proclamation of the glory of God in heaven. Everyone's on board. It ain't hard for me in church. Everyone's on board. Where is this hard? In a secular world. That's where this is hard. And so be warned. To follow Jesus in a secular world, it's going to be risky. Secondly, to follow Jesus in a secular world, it's going to cost you. Uh, Esther says, if I perish, I perish. Not only is it going to be risky, it's going to cost you. I'm sure we have some stories here. In fact, it's going to get worse the further we get into secularism. But really, in America, it's not that bad. It's starting to, though. I don't have time to talk about all the ways in which the culture is going to move against the values of God. Only simply to say this, we were in Green Bay this past week at Barnes & Noble. Does anyone know what the world calls this month? Uh, the, the root sin of pride is what this whole month is called. And in the children's section at Barnes & Noble, they have a book called The Gay BCs. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to teach kids all the way down to infancy how to be brainwashed into the values of the world which go against the values of God. Now, again, I don't have time to tell you all I want to tell you about this other than to say that for you to stand against what the world says and to uphold what God says, it's going to cost you. Here's an example, Acts 5. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Light or darkness, what do you think? The, the, the apostles are performing signs and wonders. Is that light or is that darkness? Is that 
And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Light or darkness? Light. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered from all the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Light or darkness? That's light. Watch what happens next. Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail. We saw this last week. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Make, make, make no mistake on this. If you follow Jesus in heaven, no problem. But if you follow him in a secular world, it's going to cost you. So be prepared for that. Lastly, to follow Jesus in a secular world is something that you cannot do alone. This is where I want to kind of uh, land this morning uh, for a great emphasis. If you look back with me in the text Do you remember what happened to all of the Jews in Susa? This was back in verse 3. Every province where the edict of the king came, there was great mourning among whom? All the Jews. Um, uh, Esther hears that Mordecai is wearing sackcloth. Do you remember what she does? But before she even investigates as to why, she's like, he needs new clothes. She lives in the king's palace. She has tons of clothes. So watching over for Mordecai, she sends him a new outfit. But he doesn't accept it. And she finds out the reason why. And as they go back and forth with this uh, uh, hatchatch, the emissary in between them, I want you to see what she says in verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa. Fast for me. Why does she say that? Was it all the Jews who were going before the king or just Esther? It was just Esther. But Esther knew, I can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. I have to know that you are with me. I want you to know, uh, graduates, you're not going to be able to do this alone. To, To be a Christian in a secular world, if you're alone, that's going to be like a candle in a hurricane. You're going to be extinguished like that. Instead, you need the warmth and encouragement of the body of Christ. You need help. Church, what about you? Do you need help? Can you go it alone? Yes or no? Can't do it alone. And so to live after Jesus, to fall after Jesus in the secular world means you, you need help with this. This Jesus says in John 17, this is his prayer. This is Jesus praying for you. Watch this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's his disciples. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Watch this. That all of them would be what? That they be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So that we go have a big softball tournament and don't punch each other. (laughs) But that we learn how to be unified as God's people. Because you cannot walk this life of faith alone. How are you doing with these? They make sense? 
The five of you, give me an amen if they make sense. That was the quietest amen I ever heard. <laughs> so what do, what do we do with this? God's plans cannot be thwarted. Mordecai knows that. Deliverance will come from some other place. God will protect his people. He's given you the opportunity to be part of it, but God's plan will not be thwarted. Esther, if I die, I die. God will resurrect someday. God's plan cannot be thwarted. If this is true, here's what I want you to do. Honor him above everything else. Oh, to my older students who have been through the ringer, you know this to be true, don't you? Right? You've seen the world for what it is. Oh, you've learned the hard way, many of you, right? Right? Not been fun, but I get it. He wants no other place than number one in your life. He's going to give you the option. He's not going to force you to. But because his plans won't be thwarted, honor him above everything else. Secondly, don't wait. Could have Esther waited? Yes or no? Could she have been silent? Yeah. Deliverance would have come from somewhere else. So just because he's going to glorify himself doesn't guarantee that you're going to be a part of that. He gives you the option to be part of it. Don't wait. I missed the boat that 4th of July. And you can't be on the dock and in the boat at the same time. So get on board. Get on board now. You, you got your whole life ahead of you. Honor him. And don't wait. Oh, I feel like I'm preaching to students here. Do you guys ever feel like that, parents, right? Oh, there's just so much. There's so much ahead of them. But Jesus is so much better. All right, I won't go further on that one. Here's the last one. Um, we, we need you. We need you. There's, there's no football team that's just made of a quarterback, right? I was having this argument with Emily as we're going through uh, Green Bay. Isn't it fun to hear about the arguments I have with her sometimes? <laughs> she is like, thank goodness they got rid of Aaron Rodgers, that diva. <laughs> Uh, he thinks he's king of the world, she would say. And um, I'm, I'm a little bit on the other side of that argument, even though I'm fine that they got rid of Aaron Rodgers. You can see the sermon's taking a turn right now. Somebody, right? <laughs> now, what if it was true? Granted, let's pretend he thought he was king of the world. That only Aaron Rodgers goes out on the field. How's that game going to go? Court, quarterback doesn't have blockers? You're not valuing your blockers? You don't have a running back? He can't run. Have you seen him run? He can't run. Right? You, you have anybody to throw to? What do you need on a team? You need diversity. And this is exactly what God has offered to us in the church. Not any one of us has a, the same gifting. Each of us has a unique con- contribution and a role to play. Because we cannot do it alone. And church, uh, uh, students, we need you. The church needs you. Can you get an amen on that one? Amen. 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 Yeah, that's fine. Bring it in there.